0: I began my massage, trying not to let him smell my fear and obvious discomfort. Before I knew what was happening, he grabbed onto my wrist and tugged me towards the bed. I tried to pull away, but he was unbuttoning my shorts and pulling my body onto his already naked body faster than I could think.
1: Jeffrey Epstein ran a sex trafficking operation involving hundreds of girls, pretty openly, in Palm Beach, New York, Paris, and on his own private island. Authorities have known about him since at least 2005, but never in all those years have any of his victims had the opportunity to stand up in a court of law and publicly say what happened to them. Until last week.
0: I was searching for words, but all I could say was a meek, no, please stop. But that just seemed to excite him more. He continued to rape me, and when he was finished, hopped off and went to the shower. I pulled my shorts up and I ran as fast as I could back to my own villa, my feet bloody from the rocks.
1: Shantae Davies was one of 16 women who spoke in a courtroom in Lower Manhattan last week. None of that testimony was recorded, but when the hearing was over, many of Epstein's victims came outside and stood in front of the building to talk to reporters. You know the scene. It's the courthouse steps you see on every episode of Law & Order when someone is standing there surrounded by cameras and microphones. Some of the women cried. Some stood silently. One was holding her baby. Others, like Tila Davis, were defiant.
2: All I'm going to say is today is a day
3: of power.
1: It was unnerving how similar all the women's stories were. They were young when it happened, 14, 15, and naive, and they needed money. Epstein's people offered them that, a couple hundred bucks to give a massage, which inevitably ended in sexual assault. Some of them saw him only once— and others were trapped in a perverse relationship with Epstein for years. What was almost as upsetting for the victims as the sex was watching Epstein evade justice. The women felt ignored by the legal system. Only this year, after Epstein's arrest in New Jersey, did they begin to think they might be able to confront him and force him to hear their stories.
0: Do I feel his death was an appropriate punishment? Absolutely not. It gives nobody justice and... Um, It makes me sick to my stomach that there's perpetrators out there that obviously helped him in many ways for a very long time, and they're still out there with no punishment.
1: I'm Arielle Levy, and this is the first episode of Broken, Jeffrey Epstein, a podcast about the man and the many people and institutions that allowed him to use hundreds of teenagers for sex for years on end. Last week's hearing marks a turning point in this story. With his prison suicide, Epstein ended the criminal case against him, but the investigations into his collaborators are just beginning, and the civil case against his estate is taking shape. Our plan here is not just to tell you what Epstein did, but to place him in the right context. He was obviously a twisted guy, but he was also a reflection of the worst of who we are. We value wealth in men and youth and beauty in women. We accept that the rich have a totally different relationship to law enforcement and the justice system than everyone else does. What makes Epstein so fascinating is not just the salaciousness of his crimes, but the way he committed them so openly. He understood that he could operate with impunity at the highest levels of American life. Our program will tell this story with the help of our executive producer and special correspondent, Julie K. Brown. The reason there was a packed courthouse last week, the reason we've heard so much about Epstein, is Julie. She's an investigative reporter for the Miami Herald who has been digging into Epstein for three years, and she wrote an explosive series about him last fall. She was in New York for the hearing last week.
3: I think one of the things that really struck everybody right away was there was probably about 30 uh, women that were obviously victims, you know, sitting with their lawyers. And they all had a certain look. Uh, What what is that look? Well, it tends to be very waif-like women who had blonde hair, most of them had blonde hair and blue eyes, not all of them, but most of them. They have a stature about them, like a model quality stature about them. Uh Uh-huh. And then the next thing you sort of notice is how they all were looking at each other and all kind of, uh, you know, recognizing. You could see it in their faces like, oh, man, look, you know, here, we're all in this together. And, And you sort of could feel as the hearing went on um, this uh, bonding that was really going on. They were putting their arms around each other. It's very emotional, um, you know, to see them all bonding like this. And I think, you know, the after the first couple of women spoke, I think I could feel that the other women who came up, they were more, confident. Um, So I I got the feeling that they were all supporting each other, even though some of them didn't know each other before that hearing. This doesn't happen.
1: Victims do not get to testify about a man who's dead. Judge Richard Berman said he knew of only one other example. In our system, when someone dies, any criminal case against them is over. But these women wanted their day in court, and Berman and the prosecutors felt they should have it.
3: They were very adamant about the fact that they were not going to handle this case the way that the prosecutors in Florida had handled it. And, you know, as we now know, the prosecutors in in Florida deliberately kept the victims out of the process. They didn't tell them what they were doing. They uh, hid things from them. And from the get-go, the prosecutor in New York and and the judge uh, weren't going to have that happen this time around. Berman is a federal judge, but he also happens to be a licensed social worker. So I think on a in, in an abundance of, um, you know, understanding that this that, that it's very important that victims are part of the criminal justice process, uh, they wanted to give them this opportunity to have their say. And, and by the way, it's also part of the law. I mean we have a federal law called the Crime Victims' Rights Act, which is exactly what um, – you know, was violated in the Florida case uh, that, you know, outlines certain steps that that prosecutors are supposed to take by law to involve victims in the criminal justice process, especially when there's any kind of a plea agreement. Jeffrey Epstein's criminal
1: case is over. That's it. Whatever was said in the courtroom last week is the last word on his criminal culpability. But Epstein didn't operate alone.
3: This was a real well-oiled operation. It wasn't like some, you know, Mickey Mouse kind of thing. You're talking about he has to have schedulers so that he has these women coming and going two, three, four times a day. At each of his homes. So if he's flying, for example, from his home in New York to Palm Beach, he has people that are calling up his scheduler in Palm Beach and the schedulers are calling up women and trying to get them all lined up. He's going to be here a week or two weeks. I mean, they they had a system and every single home that he went to um, and every place he went to, he had people pulling the strings and doing his, his you know, schedule.
1: We know the names of most of the people in that operation, but in some cases, it's hard to tell who was a victim and who was a perpetrator. When girls outgrew Epstein's sexual taste, by which I mean that they turned 17 or 18 years old, they would sometimes become part of this scheme in a different capacity, procuring other younger girls. There was one person, though, who was clearly no victim. Ghislaine Maxwell, according to a lot of witness testimony and court filings, was Epstein's partner in every sense of the word. And yet she was granted
3: immunity in the Florida case. I mean, you would think that they would, for one thing, charge uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, who was, you know, really, um, she really ran the show. I mean, from what the court records show. Of course, she denies it. Um, But there's an awful lot of evidence, an awful lot of evidence that she was really— And we know
1: in her case that she comes into this relationship with him as a grown-up.
3: Yeah. And and it was Maxwell who apparently— um, started the whole thing. I mean, she was at the top. I mean, if you think of it sort of as maybe an organized crime uh, family, you know, you have Epstein and Maxwell at the top, and then you would have Kellen and uh, Leslie Groff, and uh, you know uh, Nadia uh, Marcinkova, um, Adriana Ross. Maybe they're the lieutenants, so to speak. You know, it there was a you know there was an organization running this.
1: Those other names have been raised in court filings as potential co-conspirators of Epstein's— Sarah Kellen, Leslie Groff, and Adriana Ross. They were Epstein's assistants and, allegedly, they were responsible for arranging his encounters with his victims. They say they didn't know how young the girls actually were. Nadia Kova's role is murkier. Multiple women who've spoken about their abuse name her as one of Epstein's collaborators— But an incident report from the Palm Beach police says that Epstein called her his sex slave and brought her to the United States from Yugoslavia after he purchased her from her own parents. Her legal team says that like other victims, Marcinkova is, quote, severely traumatized and needs time to process and make sense of what she has been through before she is able to speak out.
3: So what now? I am trying to purposefully steer my own path in this story because it is a huge story, still going after the corruption because how did he do this? He did not do this alone. And he didn't get that jail term and he didn't get, you know, all the privileges he got without somehow getting someone to agree to it. I'm still focused on whether there were any prosecutors who did who committed wrongdoing, whether on the state level or the federal level, whether anyone in the sheriff's office committed any wrongdoing. And whether there were any other people, I mean, it could for all we know, there could be an FBI agent somewhere who, who was not on the up and up in this case.
1: I mean, one of the premises of of our show is that the Epstein case is indicative of a lot of other problems and realities in our society where we have a justice system weighted wildly towards the powerful and we have a culture that values wealth and men and youth and beauty and women, uh, particularly in Palm Beach and Park Avenue, the places where Epstein operated. So it's like in some ways the Epstein story represents the worst of our values, sort of distilled into poison. And I wonder, does that ring true to you or does this feel, does the Epstein case just feel like a horrible aberration from your perspective?
3: Well, I think it was, it's probably one of the worst cases, uh, you know, of, of, you know, someone who really um, was able to use his connections and wealth and power. In plain sight, you know, there was a photograph that was uncovered recently of Virginia, uh, one of the victims, Virginia uh, Roberts Giffray, when she was quite young, 17. She looks even younger than 17 in the photo. And she's at a party, um, I can't remember if it was London, and it was a a party for— Naomi Campbell, the the model, and she's in those photographs, and she's surrounded by all these people, many of them famous, and she looks like this little girl in the middle, in the sea of this crowd of, like, partiers, and she just stands out, you know, and you have to wonder, why is a little girl, I mean, because she did, she looked like a little girl, at this Crazy party with all these, you know.
1: Why is there a child at this party? Right. Why yeah. who wouldn't who wouldn't ask that? Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. We'll be hearing a lot more from our special correspondent Julie Brown in the coming weeks. After the break, what kind of justice is still available for Epstein's victims?
2: That five hundred million dollars should go to these women?
0: From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes.
3: Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? (laughs) Some peasant Coke? No.
2: So
1: Epstein's dead. There's no sending him to jail. But his victims can still go after his money in a civil suit. You can't sue a dead person. You have to sue their estate. That's Roberta Kaplan, a lawyer who has argued cases in front of the Supreme Court, including the one that brought down the Defense of Marriage Act. And now she represents one of Epstein's victims. Her client, who does not want to be named, was referred to as minor victim number one in Epstein's criminal indictment.
2: As the indictment says, he asked and she told him her age at the time. Uh So which is why she was such a crucial person for the indictment, because uh, had she given that testimony, it would have definitively proved that he was engaging in very serious federal crimes.
1: Now that he's dead, Kaplan and the victims are looking at a civil suit to go after Epstein's assets. But he made that really hard. It's unclear exactly how much money he had or where he put it. But more than $500 million is locked up in the U.S. Virgin Islands.
2: So that makes things very, very complicated for my client and the many, many other women uh, in her position.
1: When someone dies, their assets go through something called probate. A judge rules if a will is valid, which starts the whole process of distributing all the money and property. This is also the time when someone can sue an estate and argue that they should get some of it. Under normal circumstances, like when a not-very-rich person dies and leaves their money to their children uncontested, probate takes maybe a
2: year. But none of this is normal. The Virgin Islands is a, obviously a small jurisdiction. Uh, I'm sh- quite sure they've never really handled anything like this before. It's not like the New York where they're used to dealing with huge multi-hundred-million-dollar sure. assets.
1: Epstein killed himself exactly four days before a new law would take effect that allows victims of childhood sexual abuse to sue their abusers years after the crime occurred. That doesn't seem like an accident. And what's more, he signed a new will 48 hours
2: before his suicide. So two days before he died, in the federal prison,
0: Mm
2: -hmm. um, he uh, signed a new will. Mm -hmm. The executors on that will were the two attorneys who helped him him for years structure his assets and, as he bragged to people, supposedly made him judgment-proof.
1: If he knows he's going to be dead and he does this, and he knows two days later he'll be dead, I mean, what does that say? Is he just trying to mess with these victims from beyond the grave? I mean, what does he care what's happening to his assets if he's going to be dead?
2: There's quite a bit out there that talks about him bragging to people over the years how he had made himself judgment proof Uh and how all these women who he'd abused could not get at his huge wealth because he had entered into all these complicated mechanisms, trusts, et cetera, uh, to, to keep his assets safe from these women. Um, Given the fact that he bragged about that, I think I have to assume that that was his goal uh, before he died. And that was his goal in changing the will. Mm -hmm. Why anyone's kind of, psyche would do right. that. I'm not a shrink. I can't I can't give you an opinion about that. But my guess is, is that's what he was thinking. A civil case against an estate
1: in probate in the Virgin Islands would probably drag on for a very long time, like years. And there's no guarantee that the victims would end up getting what they want.
2: So Kaplan's trying to arrange a group settlement. Obviously, these women were, were terribly damaged. My client was terribly damaged. Our judicial system has ways of putting a dollar figure on that, um, and it should. Um, and she should get compensated for the injury she suffered. While it might not, it's not like a broken arm, uh, like you would get in a in a car accident or something like that. What what's, what she suffered is actually far worse and far more damaging to her. So she should get compensation for that. On top of that, I think for her to finally get a. a dollar figure from the man or the estate of the man who so abused her for so long will feel to her like vindication. It, it's not the same thing as vindication in a criminal trial, obviously. And the only reason, think about it, the only reason she was willing how gutsy of it for was for her to be willing to show up in, a, in an open federal courtroom and testify. Um, she's not going to get that, but I do believe that she will feel some sense of, of vindication and, and I hope peace uh, that she truly will get that fresh start uh, that she's hoping for.
1: Attorney Roberta Kaplan. So how do we look at Jeffrey Epstein and what he got away with? What does this story say about who we are as a culture at this moment? Epstein crossed paths with everyone, from Bill Clinton to Donald Trump, and they all seemed to have something in common. They were rich and powerful men, across the political and professional spectrum, and they have an abiding taste for much younger women, and they're willing to abuse their power to get them. Perversely and not unrelatedly, women want to look young forever. That's why there's a multi-billion-dollar industry botoxing foreheads and coloring gray hairs. So is the Epstein case extraordinary, or is it representative?
2: How come we didn't have to hide it better? Maybe because it was so easy not to have to hide it. We'll follow
1: Epstein's trail and examine the elite circuit that runs between Park Avenue and Palm Beach.
2: Jeffrey Epstein, yeah, like, likes to hang around with beautiful women who are also younger. Like, I could say that about a lot of men I know. Like, I'm not a lot of rich men. He's just, he's literally a, almost a half a step away from many people that are within the line of the law. He just, he, he stepped over it.
1: We'll hear from Epstein's friends and those who witnessed his rise to power firsthand. This guy was brilliant. A mastermind on Wall Street. And a criminal mastermind. We'll hear from Epstein's accusers. They'll tell us their own stories.
3: It's not how Jeffrey died, but it's how he lived. And we need to get to the bottom of everybody who was involved with that, starting with Ghislaine Maxwell. And I won't
2: stop fighting. I will never be silenced until these people are brought to justice.
1: We'll talk with researchers about what drives this kind of abuse. There
3: is probably another Jeffrey Epstein right now happening in this country, and our systems are failing victims. It is happening right under our noses, and when people do come forward, they are not believed. And we'll hear
1: from people who have worked inside the federal legal system to find out what comes next.
3: This investigation was backwards on every level, from the get-go. The only conclusion that I could draw from all of that kind of behavior is it's the, the investigation's off the rails. None of that shit should ever happen, ever.
1: Broken, Jeffrey Epstein, is produced by Three Uncanny Four Productions. Our senior producers are TJ Raphael and Krista Ripple. Dan Bobkoff is our showrunner. Our research team is Jack Panyard and Oliver Lazarus. Matt Hauser is our engineer, and Casey Holford composed the theme. Our special correspondent and executive producer is Julie K. Brown. Our other executive producers are Adam Davidson, Laura Mayer, Adam McKay, and Kevin Messick. For questions or comments about our show, email broken at 3 4com Share your thoughts on Twitter with the hashtag Broken Jeffrey Epstein. You can follow me at Avlskies, which is A-V-L-S-K-I-E-S. Follow Julie Brown at JKB Journalist. Rate and review the show in Apple Podcasts. It helps other listeners like you find us. And one note, we know about Epstein and his crimes because of local journalism. Because the Miami Herald supported Julie Brown's investigation. It's a good reminder of the essential value of old-fashioned reporting. Subscribe to local newspapers like The Herald, which still have such an important role to play in our civic life. For Broken, I'm Arielle Levy. We'll be back next week.